Amen. Hi, Homestead. Nice to see you today. What a, what a nice day in Minneapolis. We're just uh, enjoying this beautiful season, and good for you being in God's house on Sunday morning. My cousin was speaking on, uh, better is one day in your court than a thousand elsewhere. Stu, Stu Mulligan, uh, <laughs> when he booked a tea time, he said, the name's Mulligan, and they always thought he was kidding, but that, that was his name. Anyway, Stu was preaching on better one day here than, and he said, how many of you people would rather be here than uh, a thousand days in Hawaii? And he didn't get any hands. He said, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what about you, Stuart Mulligan? Would you rather be here than a thousand days in Hawaii? We were in an old camp meeting tabernacle and uh, he said let's go to the next verse <laughs> uh, we missed Stu Mulligan he he went to heaven a while ago but he was always one of our favorite preachers anyway we we came down from that camp meeting up there in Ontario came through beautiful uh, beautiful uh, Wisconsin and La Crosse and over this way lovely lovely day and how nice to spend a weekend with Jeff and Christy here. Thank you for this. It's, uh, it's lovely to be here. And uh, just share a little bit about the butterfly nation in Zambia. The Zambia is shaped like a butterfly right in the middle of southern Africa. And um, that's where I got my idea for the book. I heard that David Livingston, that great Scottish missionary who spent 30 years really opening up Africa to the eyes of the world, 1840 to 1873. I see the Fletcher building over there at 1877. That's about when David Livingston died, right on our Zambian soil. And uh, he had nothing to show for all of his labors. He befriended so many tribes that they, they buried his heart in Zambia and carried his body out to the coast. They loved him so much and shift that body up to Westminster Abbey. So he was a great statesman. He wanted to abolish the slave trade and just open Africa up to the eyes of the world. So that man, uh, that man kind of inspired me to write my butterfly book, and I brought a few along. I'd encourage you to take one home just to get the story of David Livingston. I've got lots of excerpts from his journal and how he really lived a very adventurous life. He was as much an explorer as he was a missionary. Um, so that's, uh, that reminds me of uh, a passage, oh, I wanted to tell you about Canada, that when, I ca when uh, people sometimes ask us how Canada got its name, and I like to tell them this, account, which I think is true, the uh, explorers came from Spain and Portugal to find gold and silver in Canada around 1600. They looked around, the place was just a blanket of snow and ice, and they said, a Canada, which means in Spanish, here, there is nothing. Aca, nada. There's Canada's name. <laughs> Captain Canada won't like that name, but that's, that's where it came from. And it's an amazing thing when you think of Canada, which has so much from coast to coast living with that name. If you don't like your name, think of Canada. That's not such a great name either. 
Okay, so um, my topic today is out of a wasteland, out of an Akanada place, a born-again people. That's an amazing thing. Out of a wasteland, a born-again people. If you're living in a bit of a wasteland today, this is a, an encouraging word for you that God can bring great things out of, out of wastelands. It always reminds me of, uh, of Matthew 23, where Jesus has his last look at the city of Jerusalem, and it's the last chapter, it's the last verse of Matthew 23, where Jesus pronounces a doom. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and you stone those that are sent to you, how often I wanted to gather you the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. I say to you, from now on you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Wow, it was a word of desolation that was never broken on Jerusalem. Once that word was pronounced in the book of Matthew, you never see the daylight break again. It's like darkness comes over the city and it's just demonized and doomed, desolate. A wasteland place. And the, the word eremos there in, in the New Testament means just that, a, a wasteland. But you go to the Gospel of, uh, of Luke and you get quite a different story because Luke sees Jerusalem quite differently than Matthew does. In Matthew, the place is so dark and doomed that even the resurrected Jesus does not appear in Jerusalem. If you go to the last chapter of the book of Matthew, you see that the angel appears to the women at the tomb and he says to them, Go and tell the disciples that Jesus is going before you into Galilee, and that's where you will see him. So it's like the resurrected Christ is not even coming into Jerusalem, but he's going into the hill country up there around Brainerd, Minnesota, and meeting with the disciples around the lake, and not coming back into this depraved city at all. In fact, when you read right to the end of the book of Matthew, it says, Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and take the word to my brethren, then leave for Galilee, and that's where you will see me. And in verse 16 of Matthew 28, it says, the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain that he had assigned, and that's where they saw the risen Lord. And that's where they received the great commission in Galilee. Everything was happening outside of that doomed city, that wasteland city, that Akanada place, Jerusalem. In Matthew's gospel, Jerusalem is done for. It's like it's under that pronouncement of desolation, and that's not broken in the gospel of Matthew. You've got to go to the gospel of Luke to find a different story. And I don't think that means that the, that the New Testament is inconsistent. It just means that Jesus appeared to many people over 40 days in a lot of different places. And uh, for Luke, the important appearance of the resurrected Jesus was right in the capital city. 
In fact, when you go to the last chapter of the book of Luke, you find the disciples assembled in a room, and those two guys who walked down to Emmaus, you know that story, and Jesus came along and walked along with them, the risen Christ. They didn't recognize him until they broke bread. And then when they saw that he was risen indeed, they of course went running the 12 miles back to Jerusalem, and they found the disciples right there in the heart of Jerusalem, and they said, the Lord has risen indeed, and we have seen the Lord. And you know what they said to him? said to them, we have seen the Lord, and he has appeared to Peter. And as they are sharing this discovery, the Lord himself appears and stands in the midst of them. And he says, behold and see that it is I myself. See my hands and my feet. And there's that wonderful moment in the last chapter of Luke where they see the risen Christ. And then the Lord says to them, Stay in this place. Don't leave this city until you be endued with power from on high. And so Jerusalem is a much different place in the Gospel of Luke. And it's in the, in the heart of Jerusalem that they receive the Great Commission again. And this time it says, Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in the Lord's name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And the last verse of Luke says, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father on you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Imagine that. So in one gospel, you get this city that is so desolate and doomed, it's like there's no hope for the place. And in the other gospel, you get a picture of Jerusalem that is going to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and become the center of the Christian church. Imagine that. So I always like to transition from Matthew to Luke when I'm thinking about Jerusalem and recognizing that great truth that God can take the hardest heart and soften it and transform it by his Holy Spirit. I mean, we're talking about people who were so hardened that they arrested Jesus in the middle of the night and they took him into that makeshift courtroom and they beat him and abused him all through the night, quite against the law. And then the next morning they drove him to Pilate's court and were not satisfied until they had him nailed to the cross of a criminal. Imagine those hearts, how hardened they were, how, how bitter, how, how rebellious, how hateful those hearts were. When I see that crowd and I, 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 I see them clamoring for crucifixion and even when they have him on the cross, they stand around and mock him and say, if you're the son of God, come down from that cross. When I see those people, I say not even God could forgive people like that. Their, their hearts were so hardened. And yet Jesus from the cross prays that prayer, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And that lovely prayer takes in all of us, no matter how hard our hearts have been. Probably there are some of you here who can confess with me that there were some very hard hearts <laughs> along the way, which God was able to soften by his Holy Spirit. And that's what happened with these men. In fact, with these men and women, with that crowd of Jerusalem, 
They, it wasn't long until they heard the message of Pentecost right in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit was poured out and the disciples received the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit and they heard Peter, the chief apostle, stand up and preach. And he said to these guys, those hardened, rebellious sinners of Jerusalem, Repent and be baptized in Jesus' name, and you will receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, even you people, for the promise is unto you and to your children. So that's an amazing thing, isn't it? When you think about Jerusalem in Matthew and Luke, that God can take the hardest soil and turn it into a wonderful, wonderful born-again scene. I like this verse from Ezekiel. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take out the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Isn't that a lovely verse? I think that Jesus was thinking about Ezekiel when he said to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need to, you need to have that, that new, that washing, uh, that washing that only God can do. And that's what happened to Jerusalem. That it became a born again place. And all of a sudden, the hardest hearts that the world has ever seen became recipients of uh, the good news and became the very center of the Christian church. At that day, 3,000 were added to the church and Homestead Church was birthed in the heart of Jerusalem. By the way, this is quite a miracle too, isn't it? <laughs> when, when I see this building in the heart of Farmington, I say God worked on some very hard soil <laughs> to get this place established. It was a series of miracles, wasn't it? Because it wasn't easy to get a title deed and all of those things which you know very well, but God was able to do those kind of miracles again. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So that's my message to you today in a nutshell that uh, no matter how hard your situation, uh, God, is able to, God is able to invade that with his cleansing and the... Uh, the, the anointing power of his Holy Spirit and the power of his word. There's a, there's, a, there's a verse in Jeremiah that says, Is not my word like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? And Jeremiah was dealing with some very hard, hardcore sinners himself. And uh, he knew that the word of God as it was coming out was just softening those hearts and uh, doing that miracle. And so that's what we can uh, take courage in today and, ta and build on that wonderful promise that we see in transitioning from Matthew to Luke, that God's able to take the most desolate place, your house is left to you desolate, and turn it into a place of destiny. Isn't that something? Praise the Lord. He's able to do that. He's able to take the darkest place and infuse it with the glow of his Holy Spirit. Mm, he's able to take the place that is just at the end of its religious traditions 
and cause it to experience the birth of a whole new Christian church. Amazing. That would go from Jerusalem all the way to Rome in the book of Acts. That would like fill the earth with the gospel. Amazing, amazing, amazing. God's able to do that with the hardest place. So let's take courage today about our hard soil places in the workplace, <laughs> in the extended family unit. We all have places that we might even have given, we might even have stopped praying for those places because they just seem so desolate. Uh, but let's take courage from the book of Luke that God's able to transform the most desolate place and uh, turn it into a place of destiny. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. We receive that word, Lord, over every situation today. We receive that word. God's able to transform it. Well, I want to just illustrate that point in about 10 minutes from the wonderful story of Zambia. Because in 1877, when the Fletcher Building was built, Zambia was a very desolate place. Oh. It was so desolate that one of the missionaries who went there said, I have seen an army. He was living among the Ngoni people. He said, I have seen an army, 10,000 strong, go forth in June and not return until September, loaded with spoil in slaves, cattle, and ivory, and nearly every man painted with white clay denoting that he had killed someone. That's Zambia in 1883, just seven years after the Fletcher building was built. It was, it was a very heathen and pagan place, full of warfare, witchcraft, slavery. The missionaries who came in after Livingston to live among the people, they just had to endure that kind of paganism and witchcraft for quite some season, and they thought they were working on very hard ground. In fact, Dr. Elmsley records in his journal that there were times when it looked like they would just leave and go and work somewhere else. But they persevered, they kept sharing the word as they were able, and they built a medical clinic among this dominant tribe of Ngonis, who really controlled eastern Zambia. And uh, gradually they began to win some favor with Chief Mambera, so that at least he allowed them to stay. But for seven years they saw no results, until they had a wonderful breakthrough that God sent through, the, through a rainstorm in a dry season. It was like the beginning of a softening on very hard soil, because... Um, you get dry seasons in Zambia every year, September, October. We kind of like not to be there because everything is baked dry and brown and the deserts are blowing around. It's not a nice season to be in Zambia. Then the rains come in November and things are much better. But this dry season in 1886 just went on and on and the cattle were dying and nothing was being planted. And the chief said to Elmsley, can you people not bring rain? What does your book say? Elmsley said, you people are not even believing in our God, but we will, we will talk to him and see if he can't bring rain. So the missionaries did an overnight prayer meeting. 
There's lots of those in Zambia, by the way. Started and they went through the night. And they said when they went to bed, they heard a rumble. And they went to bed optimistic, finally, that something was happening. The next day, they had a big public meeting for public prayer meeting. Even the witch doctor was there and there was a rain dance going on. And sure enough, God sent rain at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and Elmsley calls it the breakthrough day among the Ngonis in eastern Zambia. <clears throat> he says by 1400 hours, prayers were fully answered and a heavy rain fell. It was January 18, 1886. A landmark day as that most welcome rainfall came down on the parched land. It made a profound impression and greatly advanced our work. So uh, a couple of headmen brought a big sheep, gave it to the missionaries, and a lot of young people started to come to them at night under the cover of darkness and say, we want to learn how to pray to God. What is a breakthrough? They began to learn how to pray to God. And... Uh, they were disciples in the things of scripture. They learned how to read the scripture. And, and gradually, a, a youth movement took over the Ngoni tribe. So that when Chief Bombera stood up in 1888 and said, we must go and wash our spears in blood in this neighboring village, he liked to do that. And then he would leave a wife there to control the village that he had conquered. <clears throat> the young men stood up and said, we will not go to war anymore. Three of them. It was defying the chief. And, but they had seen such a remarkable change in these young men that, they, uh, that he withdrew the plans for conquest. And Elmsley said that we don't know how many lives were saved by the courage of those young men. They began to evangelize other young men in the tribes, uh, the Tumbuka tribe and the Sengas, and gradually, gradually, a church was being built up. Christian schools were being established, a lot of freedom being given to the gospel, so that by 1888, you had a great baptismal service, kind of like the one we are going to witness here in a couple of weeks. At the end of the preaching, uh, this is an observer from from the Tonga tribe in 1898. As I saw this, I marveled at several hundred coming for baptism. This Tonga observer, who had been very persecuted by the Ngoni, says, I marveled at this. I saw those coming forward one by one. I saw men with scars of spears and clubs and bullets on their heads going under the waters of baptism. And I said in my heart, can these be the Ngoni submitting to God? The Ngoni who used to murder us. The Ngoni who killed the Henga, the Bisa, and other tribes. And then at the Lord's table to see these people sitting there in the quiet of God's presence, my heart was full of wonder. What great things God had done. Oh, that is a marvelous story. The revival among the Ngoni people of Zambia by 1888. A short time later, God poured out his spirit on those people, and there was kind of like an Africa Azusa Street. Usually we think of the Azusa revival as California in 1910 or so. Here's an account from Zambia in 1910 at the end of the preaching on the Holy Spirit. Those who wished to receive the spirit were asked to stand and suddenly a wave passed over the congregation, a murmur of voices 
2,500 people praying aloud. It all came suddenly and overwhelmingly, and each had found a tongue which wished to utter their praise to God. That's an outpouring of African Pentecost, which really hadn't been known until people started to dig around and think about that Ngoni revival in Zambia. So Zambia is a miracle nation. That's why I call it the butterfly Christian nation. Like a butterfly, it has emerged from a very unpromising chrysalis <coughs> and become a beautiful expression of uh, the Christian faith in the world today. So Ruth and I are very privileged to work in such a place. We, we go to the grocery store and we hear Christian music being played, not just at the Christmas season, but all year long. And uh, we work with these young people. We graduate about 25 to 40 every year, all of them going out to plant a church. They might be, they might be teaching, they might be a chaplain in the military, but church planting and evangelism is deep in their heart. They've got the DNA of those original uh, Ngoni people. So we're blessed. We're blessed. Sometimes you get on a bus. I like to jump on the morning bus from up there in the Copper Belt and go to Lusaka. Four to six hours you can be there before noon. But as you go, you go through Kabwe and, uh, and uh, Kapiri and Poshi. A little man might jump on on Kapiri and Poshi and, and preach to the bus uh, between Kapiri and Poshi and Kabwe. And a nice little man, he's, uh, usually he takes off his cap and passes it before he gets off the bus. <laughs> but he always has a lovely, uh, lovely sermon for us about safety of passage and may God bless, bless the people as they move. And uh, before he finishes, he says, uh, let us pray, and every head on the bus goes down, and he prays a prayer of blessing and benediction upon us. In Jesus' name, amen, and everybody said, amen. That's, a, that's your average bus in Zambia, the Christian nation. One morning, I was up on the campus, which is not far from our house, just getting a little exercise. I came across a prayer meeting. These ladies were standing on the road with their hands held and they were praying. Beautiful Zambian morning. Over here there was more prayer and there were students kneeling. There was singing over here. It's like the whole campus was a place of prayer. And so I asked one of the ladies, what's happening? The, the, the day of prayer was a couple of weeks ago. She said, no, these days we are praying every day because the nation greatly needs our prayers. Oh, I was thinking about our Canadian campuses, how badly they need to be turned into places of prayer. And I'm sure the same is true of many campuses in this neighborhood here. So it's wonderful what God has done in that nation which was so hardened and came with such an un unpromising beginning and turned it into Christian nation. In 1991, we had a president, Frederick Chaluba, who stood up at his induction and he said, I pronounce that this is a Christian nation and we're going to be ruled by the principles of the word of God. Can you imagine that? He said, he said, I declare today that the government of this nation is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. You know that has stood the test of time so that even today in the preamble to the Zambian constitution, it says Zambia is a Christian nation. So it's a blessing of God. 
It's the blessing of God. It's not, it's far from perfect. It falls short in many respects. But to have that declaration somehow brings divine favor. And uh, we are enjoying living beneath that today. So we thank God for that wonderful miracle, turning a dark Jerusalem into a wonderful Christian nation. It's like turning a wasteland into a born-again people. And God can do that for you and me, right? He can do that for every situation that is so hardened that it seems beyond even the range of our prayers. Mawalera Tembo, one of those first converts among the Ngoni said, if God can transform our people, he can transform any people. Amen. God bless you.